0: Hello, welcome to Dustbusters, your inseparable companion podcast to His Dark Materials. I'm Jake Cunningham, and the original His Dark Materials novels are some of my favourite ever books.
1: And I'm Louisa Maycock. Jake and I have been together for almost ten years now, and I have not read a single one of these books.
0: Yes, maybe in another ten years you might have got through that first chapter.
1: Maybe. I think I have tried again since the last podcast.
0: And and you enjoyed it yeah. as immensely as you did yeah. the previous time. Read
1: it all. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, may, maybe series two of the podcast is what will get you back into rereading the books but for that's the fourth our, time.
1: Our dynamic is that I'm the clueless one, yeah. whereas if I become clued up, that's we lose true. the dynamic.
0: We lose the dynamic. We lose the podcast. Really, your choosing to not read the books is to save the show. Yeah. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. It's it's very lovely to have you with us. Uh, in, in the last 12 months, it certainly feels like a, a bridge to a new world opened up and we've been on the other side of it for an awfully long time.
1: Luckily, uh, nothing's happened in the last 12 months, really. It's just been quiet, normal.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, nothing's really happening. Of course, of course, lots of things have been happening, and Lyra and Will crossing into New World certainly feels very appropriate as it as it feels like that's what we've done as well and listeners you you may remember from our first series that we had guests around to our house for each of these episodes that we cooked dinner together, we ate together, we sat next to each other on the sofa to record what a time,
1: what a time. <laughs>
0: Well, unfortunately, we can't do that anymore. So you will just be stuck with me. But luckily, you'll have Louis here to balance that out as well.
1: And also, we have another guest to the household.
0: Yes, that is not to say we don't have a special guest. A special guest? A recurring guest.
1: She's currently asleep on my lap. Yes, we welcomed a almost 10 week old Jet Russell puppy into our flat last week. She's called Peggy. She sleeps a lot and chews a lot, and she's very sweet and is giving us a reason to go on.
0: Yes, and (laughs) unlike Pantalimon, she does need to eat, and uh, that has consequences that we're regularly having to deal with. (laughs) Yep,
1: at 5.30 this morning.
0: Yeah, and so that, that may affect our broadcast if maybe someone wakes up or hears a squeak something like that. We are trying to record in sleep intervals of Peggy um, and we've also chosen to record on a day when there are roadworks outside and also the flats above us are doing viewings. So apologies in advance for any interruptions. But welcome aboard our airship of audio for another series. Uh, we will be flying through series two of His Dark Materials as it broadcasts But first, just what have we left behind? So, Louis, like a large amount of viewers, you hadn't read these books before. You're thrown into this busy new world of magic, science, demons, polar bears that fight each other, uh, just maybe in just a couple of sentences. Do you remember what happened in series one? (laughs)
1: Yesterday, Jake came up with a fun game in which he would quiz me on what happened in the entirety of season one. I did pretty well.
0: <laughs> what an exciting life we have. <laughs> yeah. That's a fun game for a Friday night.
1: Well, no, we have been, I mean, like a lot of you listening, we've been stuck together for a long, long time. <laughs> no, but in the past like six months, it's been an intense... Period of togetherness. Mm. So just to have a new game.
0: Yeah, um, I, so is, is is this you diverting from the the question, which was <laughs> what what happened in series one?
1: Okay, just give me a moment mm. to think. I have to really okay. So the main character is called Lyra. She has a demon who is part of her soul <laughs> in not Cambridge, Oxford. Um, she is a chosen one in a world where there are many worlds. Her mum and dad are a bit weird. <laughs> Jake, you have to save me! Come on, man. <laughs>
0: no, I think I think you got it there. So there we are, folks. Um, Lyra's mum and dad are a bit weird, uh, but there are other worlds, mm-hmm. uh, and and that's that's really what happened. <laughs> there was so much, and if you're listening to this uh, episode, having not listen to our previous episodes or watch series one of the show, I do wonder why, why you would choose to listen to this episode. Um But if that is you, specific listener, then we met Lyra, who lives in a version of a world that's very similar to ours, except, yes, as you said, Louis, they have demons, which are kind of a manifestation of souls that live outside of the body when you're a child. These take the form of animals that can transform. So it might be a, a hawk one minute or then a, a mouse and the next. And then when you're a teenager, these settle into a form that they will have for the rest of their life. Now,
1: th- that's a detail I remembered.
0: You did remember that. And Lyra had a friend called Roger who was kidnapped. And kind of, that was our big story mm-hmm. for this series was that Roger's been kidnapped, Lyra's best friend, And she goes on this journey where she meets the Egyptians, who are uh, traveling folk who take her up north to where she thinks Roger has been stolen. There's a woman called Mrs. Coulter, who is revealed to be Lyra's mother, who is actually leading all of this planning to kidnap these children. On her journey, she meets Lee Scoresby, who's an American, who has a hot air balloon and his demon is a hare called Hester and he joins the fight. And then they recruit a polar bear, and he joins the fight. And eventually they all descend on Bolvanger, which is this fortress where all of these kids have been kept. And what's been going on is that scientists have been trying to separate these children from their demons. Lyra actually encounters one of these kids, and he's kind of a bit zombified he can't really communicate properly and eventually dies due to being detached from his demon but lyra and her army successfully blow up bolvanger and then she continues further north to where her uncle soon revealed to be her father lord asriel is experimenting with this thing called dust He's spotted some lights in the sky that he sees as a city and he's called for a child to be sent up to him. Now Lyra arrives but she has Roger with her and it turns out that with the right machinery and the separation of a demon from a child you can cut a bridge into other worlds, but in doing so you do sacrifice the life of that child and in this case that was Roger. So Lyra went on this journey of Roger being kidnapped, following a path across various different lands, and eventually resulted in witnessing her father kill her best friend, which no one wants that. No. Uh, but quite a finale to go out on. And this is something that the, the Golden Compass, the film, never even got to. So this is brand new territory going forth for screen adaptations of this story and there's so much more there that I haven't covered but that was a very brief recap
1: <laughs> You really know a lot about this
0: Oh, I, I'm sure, tweet me with all the things I get wrong going ahead um, because I'm sure I've got lots wrong here, particularly all my pronunciations um,
1: you, you changed the way you pronounced Bolvangar
0: yes, twice, yes, yep.
1: are you just trying to f- try it on to see which one sticks
0: uh, Yeah, they're all in the book first and I, I've always said Bolvangar and then I've heard Balfanger. Yeah. I'm, in my head, as I, as I read it on the page, it's Bolfanger. Mm-hmm. And the same with Sittagatse, as I would say it, which is not how it is in the
1: show. You're getting ahead of yourself.
0: Yes, we'll get to that. But speaking of Roger, before we get into this week's episode, we did have a little um, little encounter with the man.
1: <laughs> I've been so excited to retell this anecdote. When it happened we turned to each other and we we're like this is we have to have a season two of the podcast because we have to be able to tell this anecdote so jake and i were um during the summer we were in our our hometown which is a small seaside town on the southeast coast of england we were sitting outside of course having some lunch with a friend and um who goes past on their bike but roger himself
0: the man roger you heard it first here folks he is alive and well yeah. <laughs> Uh, He actually just crossed that bridge uh, into Will's world, a.k.a. our world, and is living out a happy life in the southeast of England. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, There is so much to get into with season two. In the recap of this episode, we were reminded that Lyra would put an end to destiny and do so with someone else. Uh, That's a a heavy weight for anyone, and we cannot wait to see just how this show even attempts to adapt something like that. So here is Season 2, Episode 1, The City of Magpies. So we begin with Lyra. She wakes up in some kind of tropical jungle, and then eventually navigates herself to this amazing city on the coast it's all piled up high like a what's that what's that french pudding with all the um croquembouche yeah like (laughs) like a mediterranean croquembouche um that
1: was a good simile thank you well done uh
0: this is chitagatze chitagatze
1: chitagatze
0: yes and so this is where we're going to be spending a bit of time with lyra and with will what did you make of
1: well, as we've had quite a few summer holiday trips cancelled <laughs> due to the pandemic, it was quite nice. It was almost like going on a city break.
0: Yeah. I mean, you're a big Call Me By Your Name fan as well. And I could feel these little uh, these enclosed <laughs> streets and uh, sunny Southern Europe vibes.
1: Definitely I mean. felt, yeah, European.
0: Yeah. Um, well, And it, it's a kind of hybrid city it is a magpie in its design, uh because it's it's taken elements from lots of different areas of Europe. Uh they're actually all assembled in a in a virtual version of this city bef- so that they could effectively design all the scenes from it within the VR version before they even built the thing. Um and and it looks amazing and it kind of looks a bit like Mont Saint Michel, which uh this this kind of island castle in France. And Chittagatzig Translates to the city of Magpies, which is the name of this episode. So Lyra finds her way here. She's not using the alethiometer because when she used the alethiometer, what happened in the end?
1: Roger died.
0: Exactly. Um, and if the path of using that device led to that, she doesn't want to use it anymore. But she does meet someone. She meets Will. Now that's something we didn't cover in our recap, Louis. Who's Will?
1: Who Who is Will? Just our boy. (laughs)
0: You're a fan of Will.
1: I like Will. Yeah.
0: And this was one of the big changes from uh, series one that was very surprising because Will is not introduced in the books until The Subtle Knife, the second book. We've been getting drip fed information about him, that his mum suffers from uh, some kind of mental illness. And by the end of the series, he had had his home invaded He had taken books belonging to his long-lost father and run away, and as he ran away, he followed a cat, and that eventually led into a window into another world. Now, listeners who might listen to my podcast about Studio Ghibli may (laughs) think that that sounds like the plot of Whisper of the Heart which is uh something I didn't really clock the first time around but of course yeah it's a it's an it's a very Studio Ghibli thing to follow a cat into a new adventure now will finds his way into Chittagong there he meets Lyra and it's it's a, it's a lovely meet cute
1: <laughs> it was nice to have a feeling for what their their dynamic and their chemistry is going to be cuz instantly they have a sort of not brother and sisterly but they're playful with each other aren't they they're yeah. com- they're comfortable around each other pretty much straight away
0: yes and real credit to Daphne Keane and Amo Wilson for that because mm-hmm. that's an extremely tough thing to do particularly when you're having to act in uh, environments that are either quite fantastical or not there not real yeah um, it, considering all the the demon acting that they have to do as well um and it and it begins with a great Perfectly Lyra Lyra line, which is when Will attacks her, she turns it around on him and uh, says, "You didn't scare me. I'm sorry. I scared you." (laughs) (laughs) And it's that it's that great ferocity that's in her character uh, that comes out. But what is so sweet about this episode and the journey that they briefly go on in this is taking that ferocity and they both kind of even each other out because will will was a boxer in our world he's clearly got that physical strength and ability and there is an anger within him and they've both got that they've both come from worlds and lives where where trust has been a real key issue in Mm -hmm. their experiences lyra through series one is is too trusting she She has this trust of Lord Asriel, of Mrs Coulter, and all of this trust eventually leads to Roger's death. It shows just how valuable it was to give us that time with Will in Series 1. And credit to Jack Thorne and all the writing team for thinking of doing that. Because I think if Will was to come in now, and we get to have all of that backstory about him and his mum, and his dad, and all of that, and then he gets into the world, and then he meets Lyra, that's so much new information and we as an audience would be thinking
1: who even is this kid why should we trust him
0: but they arrive and within minutes we like them together
1: and he's he's nurturing as well mm. which is a which is a particularly nice thing that i've noticed about him in that first episode is that he instantly becomes the nurturing um figure for lyra sort of teaching her about showers yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah it's um at, at times it was a bit like they were having to do exposition through their dialogue it exp- was a bit
1: my fair lady in some yeah. parts and, and, yeah
0: and using that as a way for to help audiences remember and that's what's different about my world and that's what's different about your world and it, uh, it feels like it, they're kind of having to grind through it because this is episode one so you've almost got to recap it for everyone but it does mean you get these fun interactions about like learning about what a demon is mm-hmm. um and really nice chemistry as well as between lyra and will between pan and will and obviously pan is an extension of lyra so you can read into pan's actions as an extension of lyra's thoughts but they are really good together and something that you and i talk about there in in our other discussions about Film and TV is how much we like to see people using food as a way to connect with each other. Yes. And there is something here which I love from the book, um, which is cooking an omelette. Will's young. He's had to learn how to cook so that he can support his mum when she's not feeling very well. And
1: look after himself as well.
0: Exactly. So he's arrived in this strange new world and he has made Lyra an (laughs) omelette.
1: And she also does something i think is the most cursed thing i've seen on screen so far this year which is saying something she eats the omelette with her hands just <laughs> picks it up walks around holding an omelette
0: uh truly awful is is that worse or was her attempt at an omelette worse
1: i don't know i think holding an omelette to eat her is, is just particularly cursed
0: so do you hate lyra now
1: <laughs> omelette holder no we'll forgive her
0: yes uh, and also a- another interaction was that I really enjoyed was despite the fact that the city they've arrived in is, is totally empty when Will takes a drink from an abandoned shop he still pays for it <laughs> um, even though he'd presumably have British money So <laughs> he's a good boy yes well talking about the currency so do you know what currency Chitigatso uses? euros corona <laughs> oh no yeah, maybe if you use it as a currency, all that handing it around, it's no, it's no wonder that the, yeah. uh, the city's empty. Oh, gosh. Um, no, so why is the city empty? Uh, this is our introduction to spectres. Lou, what, what are
1: they? They're kinds of... are they, They're not entities. They're not spirits. They're beings. Forces.
0: Exactly, yeah. Who can say? Because you can't even see them.
1: Who, they're not dementors. let's make that very clear, but they separate the soul from the physical body Mm. and it leaves the physical body sort of empty and you're alive.
0: Just kind of a husk of a person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there's a similarity between the spectres and the demons and dust, isn't there?
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Gobblers. (laughs) Gobblers. <laughs> not gobblers. <laughs> Isn't that what the gobblers were doing? Taking the Oh, spirits. I see. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Is it just not okay for me just to say gobblers? Go-
0: <laughs> you just threw me. I, I, it's not what I was expecting. But yes, yes, yes. Very true. Um, I, I was thinking about that. The, the spectres don't become visible until you reach a certain age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: That was very different, sorry. No, but... We can cut that out.
0: We don't need to cut that out, because <laughs> that's very, very true. Um, because all of these things, it, it, like you've got all these similarities between these worlds, even as if they are totally fantastical, we still see these links between kind of puberty, that it's only when Will becomes, quote, a man that he would be able to encounter the specter.
1: And also something that's just occurred to me, maybe Lyra and Will are sort of mirror images of each other. Mm-hmm lots of similarities in their situation. Absolutely. Unhinged mothers. Yeah. Absent fathers.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, they uh, they are a perfect pair. Um and we we see a glimpse of one of these specters behind Will in one shot, kind of glimmering shadow. Um but the funny thing is and I look forward to seeing what the visual effects team actually do with this because reading the book, it kind of had you had that freedom to think, well, they're invisible, so I don't need to worry about conjuring up an image of what they look like. Um, I just
1: imagine them as empty hoodies.
0: Empty hoodies. <laughs> Maybe they'll go for that, you know. Yeah. Um, well, F- Philip Pullman actually kind of saw these specters as as a reflection of depression or self hatred, and that I think that's quite interesting. That, of course, that those are things that can't be seen, and that those are things that can absolutely suck the life from you, and. Let's just hope that doesn't happen to Lyra and Will. Now let's talk briefly about this zombification, of the spectres, because we do actually encounter one of these. Lyra and Will meet some kids who kind of give them the, the lowdown on what's happening with these spectres, that one day the spectres descended on the city. All the adults could see them, but the kids couldn't, and all of the adults had either left or had their souls sucked out to them. And we actually encounter one of these who's... Filling a water bottle, uh, good on him. Not not using a not using a single use plastic, but he'd clearly had everything that would give someone a soul sucked out of him. And this was another really lovely Lyra moment for me, because maybe at the start of series one, at the start of Northern Lights, encountering something like that, she might well have been afraid of it, or wanting to act out against it, but that's not the case at all. She is far more empathetic and and helpful and totally not scared of it and she she just kind of takes the water bottle sees that it's full up and turns him around and says like just help you on your way and off off he goes um and I think that's 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 a really lovely of window into the lyra that we're going to be seeing a bit more mature lyra lyra who has been on the other end of all those events that we've more seen
1: more of an observer rather than a an active force absolutely
0: and, and you can see that with her desire to not rely on the alethiometer she's not constantly propelling herself through this thing and instantly knowing what the next thing is she's just kind of more more waiting to understand living it. in the moment yeah just vibing <laughs> um but by the end of the episode lyra does use the alethiometer uh to work out whether or not she should trust will and we get a curious answer here we know that will can be trusted but he can be trusted because he's a murderer the good kind of murderer which is a another kind of very lyra way of thinking about things that she can be ferocious at times that she might understand that i oh, had to do it for the right reasons And this relates to the home invasion that occurred at Will's house, um, which did leave a man dead. And so, I don't know whether that really counts as murder.
1: Maybe it's second degree manslaughter?
0: Yeah, maybe. It's not as poetic, though. (laughs) I don't feel like the alethiologist is going to be saying... He's a manslaughter. He's a second degree manslaughterer.
1: (laughs) slaughterer
0: Yeah. Um... And after that revelation, we end by seeing Will looking up at this central tower that's in the middle of the town. It's got this amazing metal twisting spire at the top of it and a spectre lurking behind him. And that that tower is going to become really important. And we're going to explore more of Chittagatse uh, throughout this series. And it's a brilliant location because it, it becomes this kind of the, the middle of a roundabout between all these worlds, and there'll be some particularly scary bits occurring here. a soul sucking never looks great, and in the last year or so, Louis, you've gotten far more into horror films than we ever knew you really <laughs> enjoyed.
1: I always enjoyed them, but during particularly lockdown, I just needed something I couldn't enjoy the sort of slow, quiet um dialogue heavy films that I'd usually like and I just wanted everything turned up to 100
0: mm. just so thrown at me. We're hoping that because we now have these bridges into other worlds that throughout the series we can open up a bridge into Friday the 13th and yep. Nightmare on Elm Street yep. and Halloween and do the ultimate uh, crossover event and all of those guys will just kill each other. So that's what's happening with Lyra and Will. And that's the bulk of this episode. But we've also got some stuff going on with the witches and Lee and Mrs. Coulter as well. So we last saw Lee and Hester uh, flying off in their balloon. They've been told that they still need to protect Lyra. And so they arrive at this meeting of the witches. And Lee has heard that a Mr. Stanislas Grumman, uh, who, listeners, you may remember, was proclaimed to be a, a mere head in a jar at the start of series one. That was what Lord Asriel Claimed to have brought back from the north, Uh, he's in fact alive and well, and has the knowledge of an object that can protect Lyra. And so he asks for the witches' help. Uh, There's there's some divide going on in the witches, like some of them don't want to get involved with what the humans are up to with all this magisterium stuff, all the bridges stuff. Lou, you're you're a fan of the witches from series one. Um, Didn't get much of them here. Did
1: we only get Seraphina? No, so
0: there was kind of the clan of witches. Yeah. So a bit of Seraphina, uh, she gives Lee something so that he, she he can call on her, and we also meet the uh, latest iPhone.
1: Yeah, sorry, that's <laughs> <a> terrible joke. <laughs> a terrible joke. That's good. No, that was awful. No, no, very good. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So as, as well as Serafina, who we saw a lot in the first series, we meet Queen Ruta Scardi, who is very cool. She's got more of a kind of chainmail scale type outfit. And the witches, they hear screams that sound like a witch being interrogated. And Ruta flies off and you get these great shots that are kind of just above her head as she's blistering through lightning storms. And you just kind of see the wind shaking her.
1: Can I ask you a question? Yes. So you know, in this episode, um Mrs. Coulter is torturing mm-hmm. the witch. Yes. So they can hear this witch screaming.
0: Yeah.
1: Mrs. Coulter is using tweezers to pull out what look like a mixture between feathers and twigs. Yes. What are what are they?
0: Well, let's let's get into what's happening with Mrs. Coulter and the Magisterium and all of that stuff. Um so the witches and the magisterium have kind of descended on the bridge in the sky in the north and there's a lot of debate about what should be done with this because this totally affects everything in the world of religion and science now and we meet the cardinal the leader of the magisterium who's on a submarine and Mrs Coulter and Father Macphail uh just saying to him "We we have to go and explore this thing we have to learn more about it and he won't even admit that it even exists and i think that's just a great bit of imagery of so much of uh modern religion that the leader of him will literally keep his head below water <laughs> rather than uh look above ground and see the realities of the world um and mrs coulter is just being her Best manipulative self in all of this. She's pretending to be subservient. She's saying, "Oh, I don't, even, I don't know what my role is in all of this. Of course, I will help you, Cardinal." And all the while, you know that she is, she is just climbing, every step on that ladder. And maybe this is bad of me to say, even though we've seen her do so many bad things, I quite like her.
1: Is she my favorite? Maybe. <laughs> She, she's really good,
0: and she's arguably more of a hissable villain mm. in the books. Um, I
1: think with, she definitely is quite hissable.
0: She is, but I like watching her just manipulate everyone.
1: But you you, you empathise what I do, maybe that says yeah. something about me, but you can almost relate to... I mean, she's a woman who's been driven mad by men and not being able to be with her child
0: Mm. and she is using exactly the attitude that those men would expect of her, of this yeah, to then subvert it and ultimately gain power over all of them so the magisterium capture a witch that's the one you were talking about Louis the one that the witches heard screaming and Mrs Coulter is interrogating her to get information about Lyra about the bridge etc and this is where we see that extraction going on and oh, yeah your your horror tastes are really coming into this one you love I it i don't
1: really like body horror though
0: oh it's quite gruesome i'm i, I wasn't I expecting this one to go quite as savage is
1: that in the books
0: no so this this is um this is a really interesting addition because that is she says i'm she says that she's extracting her cloud pine and cloud pine i always read it as as a form of broomstick <laughs> that that like it's like that's o-
1: cool though isn't it a broomstick
0: yeah but and i read it it's like is like a, a less formal broomstick like it's an organic one that there's a particular tree this cloud pine and they ride Something around that on
1: allows the- you to fly
0: yes um but this now suggests that the cloud pine is is literally under their skin it's part of them and when you think of the witches and that they perhaps consider themselves more beings in tune with nature than they are with humanity that makes a lot of sense that they would it would be literally part of their biology this thing that they can do that the humans can't
1: so are they are they born with the cloud pine, or is it something that gets put into them? I don't. A well, this is age? this
0: is um, this is Jack Thorne and the the TV department getting in and and adding some stuff. And I'll have not, to I'm... write
1: write him on a postcard and ask him. Yeah,
0: um, I don't know, and I but I, I do think it's a, a smart. It's a addition. very
1: striking image and it's a really, very striking it's... idea.
0: Mm. Um, but that's
1: that's the fun I think of an, this kind of adaptation is you have such rich source material that you can then be afforded the odd flair and to change it to however you feel that your rendition can enhance it
0: yeah and the thing is I'm I'm not one of those people who is going to go through a text and say oh no you didn't do this right, oh no it didn't happen like that uh, and say that as a bad thing, Philip Pullman himself wouldn't say that, mm. like he would just say just because this exists doesn't mean my books <laughs> don't if you want exactly that That's what the books are for. Um, And this is an adaptation.
1: Exactly. Well, you don't want everything to always be accurate. Because what's the point in trying to do something new with something?
0: Yeah. And I mean, speaking of, uh, so Ruta Scalia, the new witch, uh, she hears these screams and she enters the submarine and flies all the way up to the trapped witch and kills her before she can give up that information. In the books, that's Serafina Piccola. Okay. Absolutely fine to do that. (laughs) Um, Because Ruta is going to become a key character and we need to spend this time with her and we need need to show her. uh, Here, she's a a warrior. She can fight. uh, She can fly. We we want to see her in action so that we can have that information for later on. Um, But she's very cool in her fighting. Like, this was a bit almost like John Wick daredevil type stuff a great hallway shot and we see her beyond time she's not just walking around she flitters between them there's like five henchmen and they all get
1: i think this this part might have been when cuz we watched it when peggy was having a like a zoomie time <laughs> and we were trying to watch the episode and also having to get up and make sure she wasn't Chewing something that she shouldn't be been eating, and I can't quite remember the John Wick esque fighting. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, maybe um, Peggy Peggy saw the zoomies that were happening on screen, and there were there was zoomies happening in our world and virus, uh, but in this case with a witch. And in in that violence, she did stab the cardinal, and. That's where we're kind of left with Mrs. Coulter and the Magisterium. The Cardinal is a bit worse for wear. Um, he's looking like he's on his way out, and Mrs. Coulter, already thinking in 4D chess moves, five steps ahead, uh recognises that maybe it's in it's in the authority, aka God. Uh maybe it's in the authority's will that we should just see whether or not he'll survive right? <laughs> what, rather than directly help him, you know,
1: yeah, just no interventions, yeah,
0: exactly. Let's just see what happens natural, yeah, uh, and so we we know that that's another another person kind of wiped off the playing board that she can take over and kind of kick start what her journey's gonna be in this series as well, so a lot to get into there we haven't seen anything of our world really don't know what's happening with lord asriel at all there's a lot to be revealed um and even more worlds to see was there anything else that you enjoyed in this episode that you just wanted to flag louis
1: well, we've spoken about the omelets mm-hmm. that was the main takeaway from me yeah for this episode
0: yeah um yes I... I,
1: it's, it's hard to make an omelet
0: Yes, it really is. I, I mean, can
1: relate to Lyra in her struggles.
0: Well, it did it did <laughs> remind me of like when there's, there's Lyra says uh, after dishing it up, saying, "You are the one who taught me how to cook it." To <laughs> Will, and that's like y- you are a considerably better cook than I am, and I might occasionally remember a recipe that you've taught me, and then I might serve it to you badly. And just say ah, but you did show me how to do it. <laughs> so technically, this is your fault. This omelet is terrible.
1: That reminds me of that. When you said that, it reminds me of when you tried to make me pasta for my birthday. Mm, you it? cried. Oh, no, I know <laughs> I didn't. Did I cry? Yeah. I get very emotional on around my birthday as I get <laughs> older. <laughs>
0: I would state that you didn't cry because it was delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, don't go assuming that at all.
1: It was it. It's a it's a very hard recipe to nail. It's very simple. What was it? Was it catch your e Pepe? It was catch your e Pepe. It's hard to do well. Mm. So I respect you for trying. Thank you. But it was just it just did taste like burnt butter.
0: Yes, um, and I, not
1: in a browned butter kind of well, usually way.
0: Maybe if I sold it, it was brown butter catch your e Pepe. Um, I, I think Lyra would like it.
1: She do they actually? <laughs> in the books do they go into food uh, is, is, is that an yeah. yeah, ongoing um, I, detail
0: th- yeah there, there's a particular stew that gets talked about with egyptians um, but because all the ingredients might have different names you can't get a full sense of what they actually would be in our world um but i look forward to more food chat hopefully in the rest of this series um maybe when lyra gets into our world she might discover the delights of McDonald's <laughs> or something. <laughs> um I, I would just like to shout out the cinematography for the landscapes in this one because it looked beautiful, and uh, it looks like we've got a combination of Southern European mixed with Nordic yeah. mountain sides, and it looks during great.
1: golden hour. Yeah, that's what it felt
0: like. Really lovely, and some new additions to the opening titles, so any detectives out there can sift through that. Uh, we've got more fo- focus on the knife, um, hints of stuff way beyond into amber spyglass as well. Those have been designed by Clarissa Dunlevy and, uh, they, and they are really good.
1: And also we were reminded, you particularly said to me after we watched the opening titles, oh, that theme tune really is a banger.
0: It really <laughs> is. Yeah. Well done, Lorne Um Great, great tune. That's it for series two, episode one, but don't go away just yet. Because we still need to get an update on Louis' demon.
1: Oh gosh, I'd forgotten about that.
0: So, listeners, we spent all of our first series trying to figure out what Louis' demon might be. Uh, I know that there was a mountain goat for a few I can't parts. believe
1: that we still are going to carry this segment on.
0: Well, I think we should change it because you already mentioned it earlier in the episode, Louis. Do you, in fact, now have a demon? And is she sitting on your lap?
1: Oh, yes! Peggy! (laughs) Yeah!
0: I thought, is Peggy not the closest thing you've got to a demon? You're pretty inseparable.
1: I don't think that she's part of my personality, though. She's too... When she's awake, most of the time, she's quite full-on.
0: Yeah, but also, you love sleeping. And eating and drinking. Yeah, And those are her three favourite things. Yeah, Um, And, I mean, we saw in this episode that Demons aren't necessarily always an exact replica of what's going on in their human. They can just reflect it in a way and maybe give it language that they can't articulate themselves.
1: Like a bark. Yes, exactly.
0: (laughs) Um, So I was thinking for this series, now that we know that Peggy is your demon, but of course Peggy is a puppy. And what happens when people are young in Lyra's world? They can... They, they can constantly switch. change. They constantly change. They get different personalities. So I was thinking, what is Peggy being this week?
1: Oh, well, goblin. But <laughs> <laughs> goblin isn't really a species that exists. So what's she being? Okay, so she's she's feisty, mm. but then will completely pass out and sleep for three hours. Mm. I think she's quite reminiscent this week in her personality. her behaviour as to maybe a small growing polar bear well
0: I think that that fits the show that we're talking about and we did actually encounter her earlier just storing a treat in her mouth rather than eat it as if she was going into hibernation (laughs) (laughs) yes uh, Peggy the miniature polar bear look forward to learning about what she turns into next week that's it for this episode of Dustbusters join us next week as we get into the cave this is the first episode not solely written by Jack Thorne. I wonder whether we'll see many changes from that. If you want to keep up with us on Twitter, you can follow me at Jake H. Cunningham. And Louie, where can people find you?
1: You can find me at Louisa Florence.
0: Thanks so much for listening. See you next week.
1: Dustbusters is produced by Jake Cunningham. Music is by Dan Yacono and our new logo is by Sam Mason.